I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. In today's episode, we are uncovering what to do once you've been investing for 30 years and are ready to sell. We'll touch on why to sell, how to sell, tax considerations, and fire considerations. But before we get started... We always share our weekly money wins and losses. Tash, do you want to kick it off? Yes. I was struggling to think of a win-loss this morning, but I actually have quite a few fun wins. Um, I've been working from home this last week, so I haven't spent as much as my previous work weeks when I was back at my my regular job, my like in-person, not online job. Um, I used to buy lunch so often because I was very unorganized, but I've just had lunch at home this whole week. I also went to a free co-working space yesterday. So that was a huge win. I did buy a coffee, but I didn't have to pay like the $50 WeWork fee. And that was quite fun. And my mom is visiting for the week and she stocked my cupboard up with lots of snacks and muffins and like cheese and crackers that I don't buy for myself. So it's very exciting. Oh, delicious. I love good snacks that someone else bought. (laughs) Yes. What's your money win or money loss for the week? Oh, mine has been a very expensive week. I ended up buying a flight to Canada kind of last minute um, due to some kind of situation that I have, why I have to go there. And it's very expensive. It is um, almost (gasps) $4,000 to fly over with Air Canada. And um, because they make you now pay if you want to have a flexible flight in the case you have to change stuff, priority seating, everything costs money if you want to have like an extra bag. And I was quite frustrated because um, I wanted the baby bassinet in the front because my baby is flying with me and um, you can't access it if they're sitting up apparently. So even if they're under the weight situation, it is um, apparently I'm going to have to sit with a baby on my lap the whole flight. Ah, (laughs) Really? If the baby can sit, they can't use the bassinet. Is that the rule? 
That's apparently what they said. Yeah. Oh, so even if the baby's sleeping, I can't lie it down. I don't know. Um, we'll see oh. how it goes. I will report back on what I did, but I am sitting in that area. So I'm hoping that I can, you know, my baby can't sit up very well. Just use or, it anyway. It's still a baby. <laughs> yeah. We'll see what happens, but it's been very, very expensive trying to organize that. I think post pandemic flights have um, gotten very, very expensive. So hopefully they go down again in price. I guess it's a good thing to highlight the reason for having an emergency fund or kind of a buffer fund for stuff like this because it is so expensive out of nowhere. Absolutely. So grateful to not be stressing about this money um, because it is coming out of my emergency fund and this is a bit of an emergency. So it's all right. It's all right. It's still expensive. Yeah. (laughs) Getting into today's episode, we're going to start with some reasons for selling shares. They might include to change your investing strategy, to sell out of a losing share, to realize a profit, to simplify or consolidate your investments to sell for a shorter or a medium-term goal, such as a house deposit or buying a car, to retire, that would be exciting, or to supplement your income and give yourself a pay rise. Have you sold any shares before? I did. I actually sold shares of my previous company of employment. So we were issued options, um, which are basically like shares, and you have to exercise them at a specific price, which is usually a cheaper price than what they're trading at. Um, And then when you exercise them, you basically own the share of the company. And um, when I left that company, I ended up selling a whole bunch of them, which was quite a process because there's a lot of considerations that you need to take into, such as how long you've held them for, tax implication of which financial year you're doing it, how much, so forth. And you have to make sure that you you put money aside because you're going to have to pay capital gains tax on that. So there was a lot to consider, um, especially because... Time was of the essence, which is hard when you're not long-term investing, but trying to figure out what to do with shares that you potentially wouldn't have otherwise purchased. Yeah, this is all very new to me because I've always worked in healthcare, so I've never had these kind of share option things offered. But yeah, there's lots to consider. This is much more prevalent in the tech industry because a lot of companies will incentivize you to stay there for a longer period of time and keep offering you options or shares in a company to stay longer. So this is just something that happens in that space. Yeah. I think we hear all the good stories of people who've worked at Apple or Google and they've made so much money from their like employee share plans, whatever it is. But then yeah, the cons of if you have to sell them and you have to work for a certain period of time and all of that is so much to think about. And the fluctuation of the market when you yes, are wanting definitely. to sell them, right? Especially so for like a smaller business as well, if you're not working for a giant Facebook, Apple, Google. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened to me because I ended up holding a couple of those shares and um, they have now lost so much value. So what do you do with something oh, no. that you're holding on to and would like to sell? You know, it's just things to think about when you're buying one share. And this is why I like ETFs. <laughs> yes. What about you? Have you sold any shares? Yes, I've done it a few times. One of the reasons recently is to move platforms. I had um, some money in Vanguard Personal Investor and they made it so hard to move out. So I kind of waited until it was a bit of a market dip and then just sold them and rebought them in Perla. I started filling out the forms, but it was just such a tedious process. Um, I've also sold ETFs called Gear and GGUS previously. They were like leveraged ETFs and they didn't align with my long-term passive hands-off strategy. They're more trying to like capitalize on the market increasing in the short term. And back a few years ago, I loved that. And I was like, oh, I'm going to make all the money. But in reality, I usually lost more than than made. So I'm leaving that and I'm just buying long-term now. And I've also sold to move off a micro-investing platform 
because I couldn't just transfer those shares out. And longer term, it makes more sense for me to own them directly than to pay ongoing management fees. It's really interesting to hear that a lot of um, your decisions were around how they align with your long-term investing goals. Yeah. And like when it's, when you first start investing, you're kind of focused on lower fees and what's the easiest option. But then when you're investing for 40, 50 years, you've really got to consider the ongoing management fees or the, the fees to sell as well, but we'll get inside a bit later. How do you actually sell shares? You can actually sell shares without a broker. So to sell shares, you can log into your brokerage account and submit how many units of a share you wish to sell and at what price. Some brokers let you buy and sell at a market order, meaning at the best available price or a limit order, which means it's a price you specify. Then when it's finalized, you will be notified. How do you, when you buy your shares, do you put market or limit order? It depends. That's a very good question. Well, now I use Perler, so I can just put the amount. I don't have to worry, you know, whether it's a thousand dollars or so forth. But you, that's a very good question. I, I do market because I don't care too much. I think the limit price matters more when you're buying more of a small cap share or something with a lower trading volume and there's not that many people wanting to buy it. So you want to set a limit price on it or the minimum you'll get for it pretty much. But if you're buying something like an ETF where they're trading very, very, very frequently and there's only tiny fluctuations, it's much easier to do it like that. Because if you set a limit order and no one wants to buy for that price, then you might not be able to sell it. I definitely use limit orders for the shares that I was trying to get rid of that I just talked about <laughs> when I when I was was uh, exercising the option because that because at that time a couple cents here or there made a huge difference mm-hmm. and um, I was very aware of what I wanted to sell those shares at and set a limit order on them. Especially when your share price is literally like three cents a cent matters yeah. definitely when you've got like an ETF that's worth like one hundred and fifty dollars per share and one cent doesn't matter as much in the grand scheme of things. Exactly. But anyway, summary that there's two different ones. They're very confusing. If you're just buying ETFs, you can just do market and you'll probably be fine. Keep in mind that selling shares will trigger a capital gain tax. If you've held the share for more than 12 months, you may be eligible for a 50% discount on the capital gain tax you owe. We discussed this in depth in episode nine. When selling, you'll most likely be charged a brokerage transaction fee as well. Sometimes this is a flat fee. Other times it's a percentage of the value of the shares that you've sold. Make sure to take a look at what your broker charges. It's important to look at fees when selling. Percentage-based fees may work out cheaper for smaller trades, but when you're selling a large portion of your portfolio, they may significantly add up. So how do we actually live off our investments? There's a couple different ways that you can live off your investment. One way is to sell off a portion of your investment in order to use it for your living expenses. For example, let's say you have $1 million in investments and you are now ready to retire. Your annual expenses are 40K a year and you will need 40K to live off of. You can do one of two things. Number one, you can sell off 40K of your $1 million. Of course, this will trigger a capital gain tax, which um, you will need to consider. And unfortunately, we can't give you exact numbers here because tax depends on your overall income and marginal tax rate. Exactly. And number two, you can also live off of the dividends your $1 million is providing you with. As an example, let's say your dividend yield is 2%, which means you would be getting $20,000 of dividends in a year. If you have a 4% dividend yield, then it would be $40,000 a year. A more specific example, the VAS ETF dividend yield is currently 5.43%, but it also has franking credits, which increases your overall return with the little tax credits. Um, The dividend yield is just calculated by dividing the total annual dividend amount by the current stock price, but you don't need to do that. You can just Google whatever share you want and dividend yield into, pop that into Google and it'll come up. Some ETFs target higher dividend returns rather than long-term capital growth. For younger or higher income investors, targeting capital growth 
is usually more beneficial due to the capital gain tax discount for holding investments longer than 12 months. Also, your income may increase over time. And since dividends are taxed as income, you will need to consider this on your marginal tax rate. Some of you may be aiming to retire early. This is a strategy called FIRE or Financial Independence Retire Early. This usually focuses on really high savings rates and investing rates while living really frugally and aiming to retire as soon as possible. There's a lot of privilege that goes into achieving FIRE. So we want to acknowledge that not everyone has the same opportunities when it comes to investing but we can still apply some of the principles even if we aren't aiming to fully retire by 30. But how does it actually work? How can someone really retire forever in their 30s? Let's say you're aiming for a passive income of 40K, you'll need a $1 million share portfolio. The Trinity study states that if you only withdraw 4% of your initial portfolio yearly, you can sustain your lifestyle for a very long period of time. And your withdrawal is adjusted for inflation every year. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. For example, assuming your investments are returning 7% a year and you withdraw 4%, you'll still leave 3% to account for the average annual inflation and your portfolio will continue to compound over time. There can be issues with this as it doesn't account for periods of high inflation like now, so it's always better to be conservative and to use this as a guide only. The idea is you need to build up an investment portfolio of 25 times your estimated annual expenses to achieve financial independence. So the math goes like this. 40K of expenses times 25 times that equals 1 million. So 40 times 25 equals 1 million. And if you want to live off of 80K a year, then you'll need 2 million. So 80 times 25 equals 2 million. Lots of money. Um, a key part of the FIRE movement is investing every dollar you can and then hopefully earning enough in passive income from the investment returns to achieve financial independence. The 4% theory is based on the past performance of local and global stock markets, and there's no real guarantee that these returns will continue into the future. Therefore, some people are more conservative when it comes to the 4% rule, but it is a good place to start when trying to run the numbers. Now, let's talk about the retirement investments you already have. Super. Chances are you have a super account already where your employer is paying a percentage of your income into. But when can you actually use your super? You can withdraw your super when you turn 65, even if you haven't retired, or when you reach preservation age and retirement. Um, I've been playing Stardew Valley. Have you played Stardew Valley before? No. No, it's a game on Switch and Xbox, but you have preservation jars, like preserved. No, you have preserved jars where you put fruit in to make more money. And preservation just reminds me of preserved jars. But it's obviously not. So what is the preservation age? 
such a random fact, but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> it's in my brain. Pres- preservation jars. Um, your preservation age is the age at which you can access your super if you're retired. Your preservation age depends on when you were born, but it's usually between 55 and 60. So check out the ATO website for more information. Um, you can receive super as an income stream, a lump sum, or a combination of both. Have you seen the retirement standards going around? Uh, are you referencing the comfortable retirement amounts? Yeah. The ASFA has created a retirement standards outlining the super balance you need for a comfortable or a modest retirement. For a comfortable retirement, you'll need $595,000 as a single in your super. But for a modest retirement, you'll need $100,000. I highly recommend everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. That's a huge difference. $595 versus $100K. Yeah, well, it assumes you'll have your pension as well. Um, so you've got a bit of that to supplement it, but it also assumes that you're healthy and you own your own home, which is not a lot of us don't think about that. If you think you need almost $600,000 in super plus to own your own home outright is huge. Go have a read of the ASFA retirement standard detailed budget breakdown. Their example of a comfortable lifestyle budget may surprise you. And the budget, um, the comfortable budget only includes one overseas trip every seven years. No. And the modest one as well is like you have to be really careful of using your appliances and your heater. But if you have a comfortable retirement, then don't worry, you can use your, your aircon and your heater if you want. But that just seems like a very basic thing that you should aim for in retirement. It's kind of scary because I also know that women retire with significantly less in their super and they're also at the biggest risk of being homeless or in poverty. Mm -hmm. So this is something that we really need to take seriously because not including the once out of seven years to do a trip overseas because a lot of retirees want to do that and considering having your own home, like those are big things you need to plan for, for um, your retirement. Especially I see like a bit of more of a trend these days of younger people not wanting to buy their own home or not being Mm -hmm. able to buy their own home because of the current environment. And that's really scary considering all of these estimates and budgets are based on you owning your own home. So if it's impossible for younger people to buy, then what is the plan there? Well, then the plan would be you would absolutely need way more in retirement, right? Mm. And there's no budget for that out yet officially to tell you how much you need, but definitely something that we need to consider. Yeah. So it is really important to plan for your retirement ahead of time. And in fact, some people include super in their financial independence retire early strategies while others don't. So if you're planning on retiring early, which is before the super preservation age, you will need to plan for the gap in this. Some people don't include their super when they calculate their net worth or fire strategy, but another view is that super should be included in someone's fire strategy. It's still your money. And just because you can't touch it until retirement doesn't mean you should just ignore it. And in fact, you should ensure it's invested in the right funds. The whole idea of fire in the 4% rule is that you only withdraw a small percentage every year, allowing for the rest to continue to compound. As long as you have funds in your non-super portfolio, it's irrelevant that you can't touch the money in your super until a certain age as it continues to compound over time as well. I actually include it in my net worth and track it, even though I won't be able to access it for 40 plus years. Super has great tax benefits and it's important to think longer term too. What about you? Um, I also track it in my net worth, but I don't really include it in my FIRE strategy as I was originally looking to retire prior to reaching FIRE and I wanted to make sure that that gap was accounted for. So I think, um, but uh, you know what, I'll run the numbers again and see what it comes to because, uh, you know, <laughs> pulling out the Google spreadsheets and and uh, running that all is really helpful. There are, however, some FIRE calculators that you can investigate. I know Perler has one. So if you want to just do the math quickly, that is something to consider. Our actions for the week, go and check what your super is invested in and go and check the fees for exiting your brokerage or investment platform. Check if they're percentage based or if it's a flat fee and 
how you're going to exit in the future. And bonus, if you're interested, check out what your fire number is. As I mentioned, there are online calculators to help you with that. Thanks for joining us. That's it. Thanks. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you found it helpful, feel free to leave us a rating or review or share with a friend. Make sure to follow us on social at Get Rich Slow Club, or you can follow Tash at Tash Invest or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Etchman, who is an authorized representative, 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420-367, and Perla who is an authorised representative, 1281540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.